Welcome to my kitchen. Look at your little cat. His wife's also working from home, so he's just hopping into their closet. Oh, sorry, I think you're muted. I think you're on mute. I think you're muted. You're on mute. Your backyard is gorgeous. Yeah, I should get a dog. You look so nice. Why? What was that? What was that? What was that? My internet is being so weird today. Standing desk. Dropbox. Green chair. Soft pants. Ergonomic. Active sitting. Google Sheets. It's actually designed to wobble like this. Look at this view. It keeps me moving. I can hear literally every single word my neighbor says. Oh, lost you for a sec. Let me just slack you a paper doc. Gotta stay hydrated. <laughs> Definitely. 100%. Welcome back to this series of workplace, you know? design, oh, past, present, and future. And before I begin, I would like to give credit to Alexis Gay, for the intro remote working clip, as I thought in a nutshell, it reminds us all the struggles we faced as we were thrust into the 100% remote working environment. As I stated in my last episode, I broke up the past and present into really two episodes. First being more the history from the Industrial Revolution through the 1990s. However, now, from the 2000s to present day, I feel like these decades really became the inception and most importantly, the trial and error period of remote working. Therefore, in this episode, we will be dealing with the advent of remote work through those periods, both good and bad, and how the pandemic accelerated remote working toward our future direction, which, as promised, will be coming up in future episodes. As the 2000s started, technology continued to grow at a record pace. The physical size of computers diminished and in some cases gave way fully to the laptop. Consequently, telecommunications were to become prominent as offices were able to communicate on screen throughout many locations. Therefore, the new office would encompass more technology and data connectivity than ever before. The early 2000s office space was about amenities. Now, as the open floor plan developed, it was now expected to include ping pong tables, foosball tables, air hockey, and sometimes pool tables. Additionally, now the kitchenette previously, including a microwave to heat up your lunch so you could simply go back to your desk and eat it, would now be considered a gathering collaboration space. Not surprising, as in old times, people gathered in the kitchen, as often this is where the place where it was the only heat source in the house. And anyone who hosts parties understands that indirectly, everybody is always going to end up in the kitchen, whether you want them to or not. But I digress. Again, I believe this was a trend that started with the dot-coms, and clients would slowly look to adapt and replicate it for their, quote, new office culture. This was pushed harder by companies who were looking to quickly reinvent their office, quote, culture, which is a key word they were hearing from millennials as a deciding factor as to where they would seek employment. Therefore, in many cases, companies did away with the sterile, monochromatic office environment to one that promotes engagement, collaboration, and technology. It's important to know that with technology continuing to advance, people were able to start to work remotely. The technology also meant that offices would need to look at 
future-proofing or creating a flexible design where furniture and walls could be adapted as the office adapts. Now corporations were vying to have, quote, campuses instead of just offices. Now, for the longest time through the evolution of workplace design, we've heard research and design that is centered around the environment, dedicated and influenced by the employee's functional needs. Given this approach, I believe together we've learned certain aspects of what would and could work, and certainly what didn't. The 2000s would get away from what was called PWEs, or physical work environments, and would really gravitate to action-based workspaces, or ABW. Reagan Nikki from Space IQ, I think, said it best. An activity-based working, ABW, or activity-based workspace, is the middle ground between cubicle life and communal desks. Spaces are designed around different tasks that require different types of energy and inputs. The goal is increased productivity by giving workers a variety of options of where to work. And the key here is the point where to work. However, ABW is not a new concept. The term was coined more than two decades ago by Eric Van Holen, a Dutch consultant and author of the book, The Demise of the Office. In it, he describes his ideal office as adaptive to diverse sets of tasks and needs. Van Hoen wrote this in 1995 when offices were divided by temporary walls and alcoves, which is to have said, and I love this, hide employees in plain sight. ABW would be used by all size companies to enhance employee productivity, idea generation, and collaboration. The aim was, instead of providing a one-size-fits-all plan, ABW would provide varying workspaces based around tasks that might involve collaboration, concentration, or routine work allowing employees workstation options that would suit their specific activity or needs. Many studies have shown that people do have varying work styles according to their own personal preferences, and therefore would require different options to suit their needs. According to Steelcase workers who are most engaged are those who believe they have control over their work experience. By giving employees options for completing their work, they're empowered to use different spaces and tools to be the most successful. ABW strive to eliminate the unspoken hierarchy of the office by diminishing physical markers of status based on functional group boundaries. The idea of ABW-led office would in some cases do away with private offices altogether and place leadership and management within the same setting of the total office. Therefore, management and leadership would work through their tasks the very same way the rest of the office. In an open office, a permanently assigned workstation required and more importantly warranted those employees' continual presence in the office. ABW also introduced hot desking, which comes from an old submariner term called hot racking, when submariners would split their time sharing a cot. In short, while one submariner was sleeping, the other would be working their shift. Once the submariner finished their shift, they would wake up his cotmate and trade places. In this fashion, the cot was kept warm or, in this particular case, always hot. 
In the instance of the workplace, it was thought that switching workspaces or desks would add value and unlock benefits for employees. It was thought that employees who actively share their desks are more visible and thus available for information collisions or interpersonal interactions than those who do not. However, the reciprocal has been found that hot desking promotes communication. That being said, research has also found that hot desking can cause an employee to lose a sense of personal identity and control by not having a dedicated space. Now, APW in the early 2000s would cater well to the Gen X workforce, of which I am one, and millennials who tend to thrive on collaboration. An indirect consequence of the cubicles coming down was that the millennial generation were able to see their fellow employees and therefore, albeit a crazy idea, communicate, collaborate, and exchange ideas, which is of paramount importance to millennials and my particular generation. During this time, the idea of wellness started to be a larger concern in office design. The health of the employee was starting to not only be concerned for human resources, but it became a recruitment and employee amenity. Introducing things such as appropriately sized fitness centers, vegetation areas, better HVAC systems to control environments and bring in more fresh air, and certainly more natural daylight. Now, even with companies creating the campus club bed type spaces, employees were still overall really looking to work from home and meet at coffee shops to collaborate. From 2013 on, most college graduates sought jobs that allowed them to work from home at least a few days a week. With the rise of individuals working from home, so did the presence of communal workspaces in rental buildings and coffee shops. People realized they were lonely if they worked from home every day of the week and tended to crave human interaction outside the confines of their home or apartment. Keep in mind this trend toward wellness and remoteness could not come at a better time as things were about to get drastically different. Now to growing concerns about the deadly coronavirus officially hitting the U.S. Here's what we know. A Washington state resident fell ill after returning from Wuhan, China, where the outbreak began. Officials now say more than 400 people have been sickened and nine people have died. This next section we all know intimately well as we're getting into the fully remote working evolution. Okay, since the advent of the pandemic, I will break these years down starting with the year 2020. As most can recall their own experiences, and as you recall from the last section, there was a slow, certainly, trend moving toward remote working anyway. And thus entered COVID-19. On March the 13th of 2020, my company went fully remote. Now, I have to say that my company was well ahead of the COVID-19 pandemic by introducing policies and platforms such as Microsoft Teams toward the fall of 2019. Additionally, like most, our IT team was able to pivot using ConnectWise and distributing laptops that could connect to their individual desktop computers and we were able to stay pretty productive. Now, at the time, we were aware of Teams, but really didn't pay much attention to it. And I think most, or some, didn't think we'd ever need it. Or so we thought. 
Now, in a sense, many other companies did the same sort of pivot, and some did not. I do feel it was really a matter of resources, meaning those companies who could afford to immediately change their operations did so, and those who couldn't or didn't take it as serious had a much more difficult time despite the advent of even government assistance programs. Now, it could be fair to say that in many ways, the COVID-19 pandemic, in my opinion, as it relates to office workplace, simply accelerated many aspects which would have eventually happened anyway, both good and bad. Additionally, I have to point out that one of the unintended consequences of the pandemic is that it severely divided society, and in turn, what remained of the office culture in many ways, and as an observer, I couldn't help but notice how even the pandemic would affect people differently, based on socioeconomics, furthering class and hierarchy separation, and how ultimately people could deal with the pandemic as it pertained to resources or support. As such, this divide even entered on how we would work together for years to come. And since I have so many selective thoughts about the pandemic itself, as it surrounds how we were so divided, it does make me nervous and a bit saddened that the social fabric of who would who we would become was potentially accelerated along with everything else. This subject is very, very intriguing to me, and I have a lot of thoughts on it, and, you know, it could be its own episode down the road. And sure, it's easy for me to look back now and think there really exists a dichotomy between what I call pandemic work and remote work over the last three years, which I think is fair. So in this case, I feel that each should be viewed separately and fairly discussed on their own merits. In that, pandemic work was really the reaction to the pandemic as it was happening. It was the steps and policies put into place by companies to keep employees safe while making sure they could keep them on the payroll. For this pandemic period, I personally give most companies a pass on decision making, as this is what oftentimes is referred to as the fog of war. So in that respect, there's no sense to Monday morning quarterback on the pandemic working. I will save my ultimate thoughts for my summary in the final episode of this series. Therefore, in fairness, it's more 2021 and 2022 I will be focusing on during this segment, which I think is more true of the remote working period. Now, looking back to 2021, I feel many companies thought to themselves, this is working great. My staff is way more productive than they were before, and the efficiency is better. Or was it? Now, one takeaway I noticed is almost, mm, I hate to say it, but an elitist observation to come out of the pandemic regarding mandatory stay-at-home working. In that, for those who were working out of large houses in the suburbs that had big backyards and could have things continually delivered from anywhere, the mandated work from home was great. However, for those locked into studio apartments with questionable Wi-Fi, staring at the same few walls all day, didn't have the same means and perception of mandatory remote work. It was then that I noticed the second dichotomy between what conventionally was a generational workforce perception. Whereas in previous years, the old leadership guard had always pushed back against remote learning because it was always thought that people weren't as productive at home. It was thought they'd be playing with a dog or doing chores when they really should be working. And the younger work staff 
had for the last decade wanted to work from home to get away from the noisy, distracted open office to the quiet focus of their home so they could concentrate better and be, what they thought, more productive. So in an odd way, during this period, the roles kind of reversed. In that the old guard all of a sudden loved remote working as productivity was up. Staff was generally working more hours and there was an opportunity to minimize lease space and recoup some budget dollars. On the other hand, not saying it was always the case, but many younger employees were sick of being trapped inside their spaces and felt isolated and lonely and felt they could be, oddly, more productive back in the office. Even though they often stated during interviews, it was culture that was one of the driving forces pre-pandemic about making a choice on where they would work. Interesting. So how did this work out for companies? And let's look at what people were feeling during this point in 2021. Now, these statistics came from a Harris poll, and I'll state the following. Gen Z's valued flexibility over money, 40%, want flexible working hours and the ability to work from home. For job seekers in general, flexibility is key. A flexible schedule, unlimited PTO, and the ability to work remotely are some of the top benefits that would lead workers to seek a job elsewhere. About one in five employed Americans who work in an office setting would like their employer to allow employees to decide where they work, in an office, hybrid, or fully remote, while 13% would like their employer to require employees to spend most of their time working remotely. Surprisingly, 41% would like their employer to expect employees to return to the office full-time, with the office looking operating like it did pre-pandemic with minimal changes. When asked about their preference, remote, Workplace split, 40% want to work at an office five days a week, while 51% don't want to go back to the office five days a week. Women are less likely than men to want to go back to the office five days a week. In addition, 43% strongly or somewhat agreed that they would leave their job if their employer required them to go to the office every day. As we started to close out 2021, it seemed that although healthcare, first responders, grocery workers, and many other essential workers and companies were continuing to work in person, many other professional service companies were starting to return back to work. In my own field of architecture, we were generally speaking all remote, where contractors and civil engineering firms were working predominantly back to their offices in mid-2020 and we're adopting either in full or some hybrid models. Now, it's worth mentioning that during this period, most companies and their employees were becoming quite adept at using Teams, Zoom, Slack, or WebEx. So what could be learned from this? One idea is that during the mid to end stages of the pandemic, well, productivity was in fact up. Now, was this because people were just that motivated working from home? Or were they working way more hours and were, in fact, so nervous about losing their jobs, they were overproductive? So entering 2022, the vibe seemed to start to change. It definitely felt as though there was serious pent-up demand to return to some normalcy. 
It was also a time where many, if not most companies, were reviewing their current policies on in-office or remote working and starting to make some real decisions. So the question is, how was hybrid model working at this time? And I suppose there isn't a one-size-fits-all answer. However, I did review two research studies as it relates to call centers, as a good example. The first was conducted by Natalia Emanuel from the Federal Reserve Bank of New York's Research and Statistics Group. In the study, their team looked at how remote work affected workers' productivity and whether less productive workers tend to choose remote jobs. They studied how a Fortune 500 retailer who hired both remote and on-site call workers performed during the pandemic. The ultimate hypothesis was centered around the, quote, productivity gap, and the intuition born of the data is as follows. Even when handling calls randomly routed through the same queue, remote workers answered 12% fewer calls per hour than on-site workers. The source of the lower productivity, however, remained unclear. It's possible that any worker would be less productive at home. Yet, it's also possible that less productive workers choose remote jobs. Therefore, if remote work reduces productivity, then transitioning to remote work will reduce formerly on-site workers' productivity, thereby narrowing the gap in productivity. If, however, the initial gap reflects the fact that less productive workers choose remote jobs, then workers who used to be on-site will continue to be more productive when they work remotely. And thus, the gap in productivity will persist once everybody is remote. Consequently, a second study of software engineers published in April, Dr. Emmanuel and Harrington, along with Amanda Palis, also of Harvard, found that feedback exchange between colleagues dropped sharply after their move to remote work, as well as a documented decline in learning for home workers. Additionally, it was found that workers back in the office tended to pick up skills more rapidly. A third study by Nicholas Bloom of Stanford studied call center workers at Trip.com found that their office workers had actually increased productivity by 13%. But don't get too excited, as there were two big neglected wrinkles. First, more than two-thirds of the improved performance came from employees working longer hours not more efficiently. Second, the firm eventually halted remote work because of off-site employees struggling to get promoted, which is a trend that's still happening today. In 2022, Dr. Bloom visited Trip.com again, this time to investigate the effects of hybrid working trials. The outcome of the experiment were less striking, it had a minimal impact on productivity. However, though it was found workers put in longer days and wrote more code when actually in the office. And to prep for this evolution study, I read many studies and articles where remote working is shown to increase productivity, but mainly during the year of 2021. And as you can see, the unintended consequences, at least in those cases, are that it was sustainable from the standpoint that remote, remote workers were simply putting in more hours. So it begs the question, what are the unintended consequences affecting fields other than data entry or call centers? During this period and speaking for my own perception, 
Taking pure productivity out of the equation, I have noticed the remote working was starting to create a substantial unintended cost to employers in that they, in some cases, may have seen lower overhead costs and productivity increases. However, they were not seeing the hidden cost as they would be paying heavily in what I consider to be, and I call, underdeveloped human capital. In that, I mean underdeveloped human capital costs derived from such things as the generational divide as it came to technology interfacing and a lack of readiness for management, such as how to manage from great distances to be effective. As I discussed earlier, the obvious extension of working hours, the blurring of home and work boundaries, the lack of mentoring young talent and future thought leaders, and moreover, providing an environment that promotes learning and collaboration. These are things I believe most employers aren't factoring in, mainly because I believe it's difficult to quantify on a spreadsheet. So where are we now? Well, it appears that the pendulum seems to be swinging back the other way a little bit through 22 and 23. I think most companies are pursuing some sort of hybrid model where they're wanting to offer the best of both worlds. As I've stated before, we do a lot of corporate interiors work within our company, and I found the market in general is still pretty quiet, and that most companies are still trying to figure out their individual sweet spots. This seems consistent to what clients I meet with are telling me. Mainly from a leadership and HR standpoint, they're still trying to figure out the right formula for their individual companies and practices. We certainly can't dispute, at least now, some intended and unintended consequences of remote work versus on-site working. One such consequence is mental health, as we've now learned much and have gathered much data over the last few years. I see hybrid being the most used model currently as it's a way to kind of capture the best of both worlds. A study conducted by Frontiers, the third largest research publisher, surveyed 3,123 office workers from 23 territory industries and had them respond to a questionnaire. Participants were surveyed about their job stress conditions and sleep practices in both 2019 and 2020 who had not done remote work as of 2019, were also included in the study. The effects of remote work on psychological and physical stress responses and presentism were analyzed by multivariate analysis. With the adjustment of age, gender, overtime, job stressors, social support, and sleep status. The results at the time demonstrated that remote work was associated with the reduction of psychological and physical stress responses independently of changes of job stressors, social support, sleep disturbance, and total sleep time on workdays. On the other hand, remote work of five days a week, fully remote, was associated with the reduction of work productivity. Now fast forward to 2023, and are the results the same or even similar? According to Catherine Mayer of SHRM, fully remote 40% and hybrid work 38% are associated with an increased likelihood of anxiety and depression symptoms compared to in-person work at 35%, according to an analysis by the Integrated Benefits Institute, or IBI. 
an Oakland, California-based nonprofit research group. For its report, IBI analyzed data from the Household Pulse Survey, an online resource created by the U.S. Census Bureau, to determine how households were impacted by the pandemic. IBI partnered with Elevance Health, formerly Anthem, to analyze claims data related to mental health. Although there isn't a massive disparity between in-person and remote workers, likelihood of depression and anxiety is an important difference that employers would be wise to pay attention to. Researchers further stated, quote, the difference in prevalency of anxiety and depression symptoms between hybrid, remote, and on-site are statistically significant. Our research illustrates that remote work may not be the ideal solution for every employee, said Candace Nelson, director of research at IBI, adding that more exploration of the topic is needed. IBI's analysis isn't the only research to have found more mental health problems associated with remote and hybrid work. A majority of executives, 64%, said remote work negatively affected their employees' mental health in 2022, up from 55% the previous year, according to an October survey by RSM US, a professional services firm, and the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. 73% of executives said workers felt isolated, which is an increase from 68% in 2021. I think now we're in a very convoluted space in workplace and office design, as the whole remote working is working efficiently for some, but not for all. So what are companies to do? Well, the first office reimagining I did was during the end of 2020 where typically now a company was looking to reduce their footprint due in part to remote working. And the first question, as always to me and my interior design group, was what should we do? Which is a great first question. My response came after plenty of research during this time, pouring over probably hundreds of articles and data submitted by brokers, furniture companies, and design firms. I told them that this is a unique opportunity to design your office and culture around you. Not to follow trends put out by companies who want to sell you things, but instead to create your own culture and trend. They were excited about this opportunity and the project was very successful. And thus I felt, at least at the time, that it embodied the fact of where we may be going in office work and design which as a current place in time, I'm seeing most companies are offering about three to four different hybrid models, depending on that company's needs and size. Now there are still trends floating out out there, such as you know, the most recent resumercial idea, which is really you know furniture lines and trends that's used to blend the lines between your home and your office. With this trend, the idea is to provide comfy upholstered seating as opposed to the standard office pieces such as desks and gathering tables. I say this only to mention the office workplace, quote, trends will always be around and continue to be heavily marketed. So what do others say? My goal with this episode was to present you a maybe not so brief synopsis of how we got here. Which, okay, even I admit it went a bit longer than I expected and had to break up into two episodes. However, in the next few episodes of the series, I will be interviewing several 
industry experts who directly deal with this very issue as to where does this go. Therefore, I gathered thought leaders in the industry of office workplace, including designers, real estate brokers, clients, and yes, a furniture company, so we can hear what they think the future of office will lead. As a teaser to the next few episodes in the series, and ultimately my workplace future vision, I will give one of my favorite quotes, which seems uniquely appropriate, by the futurist Alan Toffler in 1980, who predicted that with increases in telecommuting technology, offices would soon become irrelevant. Downtowns would be emptied, and everyone would be connected through, quote, electronic cottages dispersed throughout the countryside. Consequently, in the last episode of the series, I will give you my own thoughts of where office work could and maybe should look like in the future. And I can promise you that's something you're definitely want to hear and check out. Till then, I give you the outro music. This track is from one of the bands I played in, written by a longtime and dear friend and bandmate of mine, Kenny Tanner, who wrote this to describe the trials and tribulations of the everyday worker, which seemed appropriate. Please enjoy and look for the next few episodes in this series, Workplace Design, Past, Present, and Future, while I will interview industry experts regarding their perception of the future of the workplace. Sisters and brothers, you may know what I mean. I'm sure some can relate to the trouble that I see. I give a hard day's work and I try to keep it clean. But I just lost my job to a big new machine. When I'm beating, Save the bottom line. They claim they will betray me. 